But if you got your Bibles today, you can open them to Luke chapter 8. And we're going to be in Luke uh, in verses 22 through 56. As you're turning there, I heard this story the other day. Uh, so this couple had their pastor and uh, his wife over for dinner. They sat down to dinner. They had a great time and they had dessert afterwards. They had ice cream together and they had good conversation. As the wife was cleaning up, she noticed that she was missing a spoon at the table, specifically the one that the pastor was using. Okay. And, uh, and they, they left and she went and scoured the dining room for the spoon, couldn't find it. And she went to her husband and was like, honey, I think the pastor might have taken one of our spoons. Like, you don't think he would have done that, do you? Well, she, she kind of moved on, let it go. Uh, but it was always in the back of her mind. About a year later, she had uh, the pastor and his wife back over for dinner and unable to let it go. She said, hey, pastor, by chance, last time you were here, I know it was like a year ago, did you happen to take one of our spoons with you? He said, no, but I did put the spoon in your Bible. Ouch. Ouch. I know none of you have left your Bible untouched for that long. And so hopefully you have them with you today and uh, you can open to Luke chapter eight. We're in verses 22 through 56. Uh, it's really one big story uh, cut into four episodes of Jesus's ministry. But the main idea that the gospel of Luke is confronting us with today is this. Christ is exalted over disaster, demons, disease, and death. And when we get done uh, today reading this text, we're going to realize that Jesus is everything he needs to be in order to fulfill God's plan in this life. All right. And it's easy uh, to read all of this. And, and, and the idea is not that we would get our eyes on uh, the things that these people face, not that our eyes would be even on the healings or the relief that Jesus provides. Uh, the, the idea today is that our eyes would be on the bigness and the vastness and the control of Jesus in the midst of the things that we face in this life. But today, scripture will help us elevate Christ over our trials, our hardships, our pain, our temptations, our burdens and sicknesses and loss that we will all experience in this life. And it's in these moments that it will be easiest to doubt that God is in control. It's in these moments that we are tempted to not have faith in the goodness of God. And we can read these stories today. We can come with our own suffering today. And, and when we read this, we can be tempted if we're not careful to believe a false theology that says, if I just follow Jesus well enough, if I just have enough faith, I can find relief from the hard things in this life. And brothers and sisters, that cannot be further from the truth. And yet it's in these moments that we suffer, that we find ourselves in storms and hardships and loss. It's often when the lights have seemingly gone out, when we've seemingly exhausted every human resource that we can find comfort in the truth from Nahum 1-7. The Lord is good. He knows those who take refuge in him. He is a stronghold in the day of trouble. It's never easy to talk about these things. And Satan certainly wants us to lose hope even here this morning. But I pray that as we look to God's word, we can take heart this morning in knowing that Christ is exalted over all. 
and that he is most interested in making me more like him amidst the things that I go through. Now, before we dig in, I want you to remember that we're in uh, Jesus's first coming and he's in the days of ministry leading up to his death on the cross. And the gospels are always portraying Christ's kingdom cracking through. Jesus taught us to pray your kingdom come because a day is coming where in the millennial reign of Christ, the healings and the miraculous events that we will read about today, they will be the new norm. All right, there will be no more pain. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more demons, no more death. And Christ here is portraying and foreshadowing in a supernatural way what will be the new natural when he comes again. But unfortunately for us, we find ourselves in the days in between. We look forward to what's to come. We set our eyes on things that are above, not on the things of this world, but we are enduring the brokenness of this world, but we don't have to suffer this morning like those who have no hope, but we can find our joy amidst the hardships in the truth of 2 Corinthians 4, 17, that this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So let's dig into our text today. Point number one is this, I will have storms in this life but Christ is exalted over every disaster. I will have storms in this life, but Christ is exalted over every disaster. We'll start reading in Luke chapter eight, verse 22. Jesus calms a storm. It says this, one day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and as they sailed, he fell asleep. Okay, so you can picture this. Here's Jesus after a long day of ministry. He's been preaching. He's been helping people. He's been healing people. He's been talking with people, hearing their stories. And uh, Jesus says, hey, the work's not done. I'm tired. Work's not done. Let's go across the Sea of Galilee to the other side, to where the Gentiles are. The message of my father needs to spread into a different region. So the work's never done. So him and his disciples, they get in a boat and they live sent to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, okay? And then it says that they got in the boat and you can picture it, there's a nice calm breeze on the water and they're sailing and Jesus in his exhaustion from working all day, he falls asleep. It's a beautiful picture in this passage of the humanity of Jesus and the deity of Jesus. He knows everything that was about to happen because he's fully God and yet he was fully man and he was tired out from the work that he had been doing that day. Just like you and I get tired. I'll tell you, after I, I preach these four services, I'm going down later to Transformation Ministries, a block party, and we'll serve there in the near north side neighborhood of West of, uh, of South Bend. And then tonight I will f at some point fall asleep exhausted, hopefully. Okay. And uh, I'm sure you, you can relate. And that's what Jesus was doing in that moment. And then let's read what happens. A windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. So that escalated uh, really quickly. It came down suddenly, raging waves, strong wind. Uh, it's, it, here's something interesting about the Sea of Galilee. It's perfectly situated to experience uh, severe and strong winds uh, because of how 
it's located off the desert and and it's low and it's got this bowl shape. It's pretty normal for the Sea of Galilee to get five to six foot waves. In 1992, there were 10 foot waves recorded crashing over the seawall into the city of Tiberias and it was causing significant damage, okay? So it, it, it can be calm and then five minutes later be experiencing these raging winds and these tumultuous waves. And now remember the disciples, they're fishermen. And they're used to sailing these waters and they're used to navigating these storms. And they know that that's pretty normal for the Sea of Galilee. So they're on this water and they're, everything's sailing along just fine. And then all of a sudden they have a storm that's too big for them to manage. Now I got to ask you before we move on, have you experienced this in your life? You're sailing along. Everything seems peaceful. Everything seems calm. You're enjoying the beauty of what's surrounding you. And then out of nowhere, you're hit with a ton of bricks, a storm. You find yourself in a disaster. I can tell you, I'm like, even this week for me has felt a little chaotic. At the beginning of the week, I was struggling. I was trying to sail my way through my own storm. I texted somebody. I'm like, man, I am stressed out. Man, I, can you pray for me? I'm like not handling things well. Okay, these things just happen to come. Maybe you can relate. Maybe in your family, things just feel disastrous or chaotic. Maybe in your marriage, everything was going perfect. Everything was great. We were best friends. Everything was easy. And then out of nowhere, something hits you. And it's as if you can't communicate. You're not loving one another. Maybe it's in your parenting. Maybe your job. You were getting the promotion. You got a raise. You were loving life. And all of a sudden, disaster hit. Maybe it's in your relationships. For me, I remember uh, seven years ago, I brought home our daughter, Callie. Uh, she's my second daughter. And um, we're enjoying the things that come with having a new baby in our house. We're holding her, seeing her smile, notice little things. And about two months in, uh, she was having trouble breathing and we rushed to the hospital and then they start drawing blood and they take her from me to do a spinal tap and they're talking blood transfusion. Turns out she was septic. They admit her to the hospital for 16 days over Christmas. Everything was going so smooth. And then out of nowhere, I find myself in this disaster. And that's what they do. Storms seem to come out of nowhere and leave us panicked, anxious, and afraid, don't they? And you are either sailing your way into a storm, you're in the middle of a storm right now, or you're on your way out of a storm. But storms seem to come in this life, don't they? Let's look what the disciples do. In 24, it says, they went and woke him saying, master, master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. Where do you run in the midst of your storms? It doesn't tell us how long the disciples tried to sail their way through the storm. They tried to figure it out until they woke Jesus up. Um, I do know that we often take it into our own hands, don't we? We either bend towards anger or sadness or maybe calculation. We try to fix it. We try to avoid it. We try to solve it. Everybody moves towards something under pressure 
And yet often we forget that we need to move towards Jesus. And the disciples here give us a great example. They show us that it is right and it is good to run to Jesus in the midst of our storms. It says that Jesus, he woke up from his great nap that he was having in the middle of this chaotic storm, which I just think is awesome that he was sleeping. He just says, he rebuked the wind and the waves and there was calm. Not, hey, let's give these waves a chance to die down calm. Not, hey, let's wait for an hour while the tide stops pushing and pulling. Jesus spoke and there was absolute standstill peace on the sea. He simply woke up and rebuked the waves and they ceased. We know from the other gospel accounts that Jesus said, peace, be still. In the middle of these disciples' disaster, fearing for their life, wondering what was going to happen, thinking their boat was about to sink. Jesus basically wakes up and says, shh, be quiet. Our most dreadful storms are but a hush to our Savior. Our most dreadful storms are but a hush to our Savior. And look what it says in verse 25. He said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. What's scarier than having a storm outside of your boat? Having the creator of the universe inside your boat. <laughs> the disciples in that moment realized that Jesus is God. They realize that Jesus has power over the wind and the waves. They realize that Jesus is the son of the most High God, and it says that they feared him. Why? Because when God shows up in the middle of our disaster, when he shows his power in the things that we are facing, we realize that he is God and we are exposed. When God shows up, our humanity is exposed. When God shows up, our need for him comes to life. When God shows up, our sinfulness is brought into the light. And the disciples, they feared but they also marveled. They were terrifyingly amazed, okay? They marveled at his complete control. They stood in awe of what he could do. It also says that their faith, I think, I think in the middle of our disasters, when God shows up, our faith is always stretched to know that he is good and to know that he is God. That's the hardest thing to believe in the middle of the storm. And yet, when we get out of the storms, we often see how God has grown us in our own faith. Jesus said to them, where is your faith? It's not that the disciples didn't have any faith. It's just their faith was ineffective in that moment as they tried to struggle their own way, beat the air, get their own way through the storm rather than run to Jesus, the creator whom all storms have to pass through. You'll either try to sail your own way through storms or you'll wait on the one who calms them. You'll either try to sail your own way through storms, do it your own way, fight your own way, or you'll wait on the one who calms them. And I can't promise that in the middle of whatever you're going through right now, if you call out to the Lord, he will cause your storm to cease 
like he did for the disciples that day. But I do know that he can calm your storm and that when we are willing to wait on him, he renews our strength. When we are willing to stay our mind on him, he knows us. When we are willing to wait on him who calms our storms, he will show us that his grace is sufficient for us in the day of trouble. Let's keep going in the story. Number two is this, I will face spiritual attack, but Christ is exalted over Satan and his demons. I will face spiritual attack, but Christ is exalted over Satan and his demons. Verse 26, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite of Galilee. So they get to the place. And when Jesus has stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Jump down to 30. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, legion for many demons had entered him and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and they begged him to let them enter these. So Jesus gave them permission. Bad day to be a pig. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. Really bad day. Look at verse 34. When the herdsmen, horrible day to be a pig herdsman. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Okay, so lots of stuff going on here. The, the coolest thing, I think, is the last thing we saw the disciples doing in the boat is saying, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And then Jesus gets to his destination, step out on the land, and this demon-possessed man carrying thousands of demons in his body, okay? And the first thing that the demons and this demon-possessed man do is they fall down before Jesus and they say, what are you going to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Don't torment me. Who do the demons say that Jesus is? The demons know exactly who Jesus is. I think that's an awesome picture for us. The spiritual realm knows that Jesus is God. And they beg him not to send them into the abyss. The demons know their final destination. The abyss equals hell. The demons are awaiting eternal destruction. And so Jesus permits these demons to leave this man and enter this herd of pigs. But you'll notice whether it was the man or the pigs, uh, the demons are attacking and controlling and tormenting both. That's what demons do. And as you notice, the pigs run into the sea and they drown. That's what demons are all about. They're all about death. They're all about taking us over and wearing us down till there's nothing left to live for. There's nothing more to hope for. And death seems like the best option. Now, Satan and his army of demons is a real threat in the world that we live in today. 
Ephesians 6.12 says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he will devour. And his demons are waiting for the order. Tempt him, harass her, crush them. You know, I believe spiritual attack is a real thing, even in preparing this message this week. And uh, you can pray for Pastor Trent as he gets up to deliver God's word week after week after week. You better believe that Satan doesn't want that to happen. I think about my wife. Uh, she's on the front row here. And she gets our four kids ready to come to church every single week. And uh, I've never really ha helped her with that because I'm usually here. And uh, every week, for the most part, it's a struggle to get to church. Not just because I have four sinners living in my household. Uh, but I believe Satan does not want my wife to get my family to church. And often I find myself texting her and saying, Satan wants you to lose this morning. Satan wants you to lose this battle. You got to come. The house of the Lord can bring encouragement to you today. But that's a, that's a hard thing. You can pray for our family. And I know that you struggle uh, with the same thing that Satan wants to attack your family anytime you are carrying the good news of Jesus. But most likely you haven't experienced demon possession, at least to the caliber of this man. But my wife and I, we have got to sit with some missionaries from other places. I've been to other countries. I've read stories of missionaries in other countries. And this darkness, this demonic spirit is a real thing. There's witch doctors and tribes in other countries who, and, and just unthinkable dark, evil things. And you better believe that Satan is ready to go and occupy that space. But even here in America, I've sat with many who have been so far out of their own control, whether it was due to alcohol or drugs or pornography, man, pornography will wreck you. It will take over your mind. It will leave you thinking that there is nothing good left in this life. Maybe deceit, maybe fear. You know, we often don't think about those things as tools of demons, but hear this, wherever we are willing to dabble with darkness, demons will be happy to occupy. We don't entertain ourselves with the darkness of this world. We don't medicate ourselves with the dark things of this world. We don't hold on to the dark things of this world. We are children of the light. If Christ has called you, he's called you out of darkness into his light that we might shine that light into the darkness, not embrace it in our humanity. And where Christ is, demons will flee. And yet it's often not the demons who have trouble recognizing who Jesus is. It's us. Keep reading in 35. Then the people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid. I love that. When Christ shows his power against darkness at his feet is where we fall always, every time. But look in verse 36. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed then all the peoples of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes 
threw a big party and celebrated that Jesus healed this man. Wrong. Look what it says. They asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with them. Jesus sent him away saying, return to be in your home and declare how much God has done for you. And the man went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how Jesus, how much Jesus had done for him. That's awesome. Jesus steps foot on this land, impacts one man's life. And Jesus is like, that's all I need to do. I'll get on my boat and gladly go back. And the message of Jesus began to spread through that entire Gentile region. That should be an inspiration for us today. If the Lord has changed your life, go and share all that he has done for you. Like, let's have some boldness in our life like this man did. He wanted to be with Jesus, but happy to go and spread what Christ had done for him that day. But look at everybody else. They're afraid and they don't want to celebrate. They don't want to deal with Jesus. They don't want to recognize the power of Jesus in that moment. They ask him to leave their place. You will either protect your own demons by running Jesus out of your space, or you'll sit at the feet of him who slays them all. Man, temptation is going to come. Demons are going to tempt Man, I, I, I want to follow Christ, but I don't want to, that's asking too much. I don't want to let go of that. I, I, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to be like Jesus, but man, that's just asking too much. Demons are always going to tempt and either you will push Jesus out of your space like these people did that day. Or you'll remember your great need for him when the darkness is trying to enter, when your flesh is pulling you away from Christ, you will remember that God is faithful. He always provides a way of escape for those who are willing to look to him. You'll remember the prayer that we often sing. Come on, sing it with me. Lord, teach my song to rise to you when temptation, when temptation comes my way. And when I cannot stand, I'll fall on you. And Jesus, you're my hope and stay. You'll either push him out or you'll sit at his feet. Point number three this morning is this. I may experience unimaginable pain, but Christ is exalted over disease and even death. I may experience unimaginable pain, but Christ is exalted over disease and even death. Let's read in verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. So Jesus is back with the Jews. He's a rock star there. They were ready for him. So he gets off the boat. They're all wanting to talk to him. And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue and falling at Jesus's feet, he implored him to come to his house for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. 
Okay, so here's this man, Jairus, keeper of the synagogue, a faithful man, knew the Old Testament, knew of the prophecy of the Messiah, believed that Jesus is God, and he does what the demon-possessed man does. When you know who God is, you fall at his feet. And so this Jairus comes, and he runs, he falls at Jesus' feet. He says, you got to come to my house, Jesus. My daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, Jesus probably knew who she was. Uh, she's, on, she's sick. She's very sick. She's dying. You got to come to my house. What faith Jairus had, right? And so Jesus starts going. Look in verse 42. Uh, As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. So Jesus is trying to get from our lobby to the kids' wing like you do every week. Just tons of people crowding you, right? And they all wanted to talk to him. They all wanted him to hear their story. In verse 43, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And when all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. Peter's like, anyone could have touched you. There's like a thousand people around you right now. What do you mean who touched you? And Jesus says, no, someone touched me for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. There it is again, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And Jesus said to her daughter, first time Jesus ever uses the word daughter to describe a woman as she went from death to life into his kingdom. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. She wasn't just healed physically, she was healed spiritually. Go in peace. So here's this woman that enters into this story in unthinkable emotional pain. The majority of the people in that crowd that day could not relate to what this woman had been going through. 12 years of her life, unable to find relief from her symptoms. Hopeless from doctor after doctor, bill after bill, no answers, no results. In that day, her condition deemed her ceremonially unclean. She couldn't touch people. She couldn't be in a crowd of people like the one she was in that day. She couldn't go to the temple. Her sickness cut her off from society, from fun, from relationship. And in a sense, in her Jewish culture, her sickness even cut her off from God. Now, some of you here today can relate to this woman. Some of you are managing pain even right now that no one actually knows about. You've seen doctor after doctor you spent too much money. You've missed out on too many things. Perhaps it's not the severity of what ails you this morning, but it's just the duration. This woman carried this for 12 years. Maybe you've carried something unrelatable for even longer than that. And at any other point in history, this woman may have carried her condition to her death. But that year, that day, at that time, Jesus had to be passing through. And this woman just knew, 
If I could just get to Jesus, if I could just touch him, even touch his clothing, I could find relief from this pain. What faith? I think Jesus knew that her faith and that his power would encourage us in our diseases, in our pain, in our sicknesses today, as we recognize that he does have power over it all. One benefit that we have today that this woman didn't is that we have access to Jesus, our high priest, anytime, anywhere. While she was cut off from the temple, Jesus can meet us in our pain wherever we are today. We may not find physical relief this side of heaven. Absolutely, we believe for it. Absolutely, we pray for it. Man, I have enough faith in my God that he, that, to believe that he could pour out just a little bit of his grace on us today and we would all walk out of here healed from our sickness, healed from our pain, healed from our cancer, healed from the things that we face. I know that God can do that. And yet in these days that we wait upon the Lord, we also know that he is sufficient in our day of trouble, in our weakness, he is made strong. And that we can experience the presence of Jesus as a son or daughter of God in our pain, from our bed, as we cry, and the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. You will either isolate yourself in your pain or you'll run to Jesus no matter what the cost. This woman could have stayed locked up in her house. I can't go out. I can't be among the people. I'm too depressed to get outside. I've been going through this, it's too heavy. And yet that day, she got up enough strength to run through that crowd and get to Jesus. You can either isolate yourself in your pain or run to Jesus, run to his word, find his comfort in worship and in prayer and in his word and in his grace. Let's keep reading in the story. Verse 49, while Jesus was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Imagine Jairus, right? He went to Jesus. He said, hurry, come to my house. My 12-year-old daughter's sick and dying. And then Jesus stops and helps this woman, hears this woman's story. That just shows the compassion of Jesus. I love that. Like Jesus is interruptible this morning. You can call upon Jesus. He's interruptible. He's inexhaustible in his compassion towards every situation here today. You can't ask too much of him. He will take his time with you. Just call upon his great name. But here's Jairus. Like if I'm Jairus, I'm pacing. I'm like, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Jesus, we're bros. I came to you first. Like my daughter's sick. Come on, you got to hurry up. I'm getting like, I'm losing my patience a little bit probably. Maybe hopefully Jairus had a little more patience than I would have. Uh, But Jesus, he's not flustered at all. Takes his time with this woman. And then here comes Jairus' worker. He says, 
your daughter died, don't bother the teacher anymore. Obviously he didn't believe that Jesus had power over death in that moment. But Jesus on hearing this answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep for she is not dead, but sleeping. Okay. And it says, and they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. So let me give you the picture of what's happening here. Jesus, his disciples and Jairus, they come up on the house and Jesus is like, hey, just you few come with me. Jairus, bring your wife. Let's go in the house. They enter the house. It says all were weeping and mourning. In the Jewish culture, when somebody died, the funeral procession started right away. Okay, so this house is already full of people who were probably praying and serving and just being there with the family. And then this little girl dies and the funeral procession was starting. And there's like mourning and tearing of clothes and they have flute players there in the Jewish culture during this time. And, and they bring up the past hurt of all the family lineage that had passed away. And so it's just quite the deal. And it's probably pretty chaotic and it's probably pretty sad and it's probably pretty emotional. And then in steps Jesus and he says, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. Oh, imagine. You're like, who are you to come into this funeral and say that about our little girl, my little niece, uh, the girl who, sleep, who is dead in that room that we've been praying for, that we've been hoping for, that we've been praying would be okay. So you catch that? They laugh at him. And Jesus is like, come on, let's go in the room. But taking her by the hand, so Jesus goes in, takes this little girl by the hand and he says, child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And again, in the book of Luke, Jesus demonstrates his great power over even death. But I love the compassion of Jesus that's littered all through this. He showed it with the woman who stopped him heard her story, sent her away in peace. But even here, Jesus isn't shocked that this girl rose again from the dead. Like if you're Jairus and the wife, you're like freaking out right now, just crying. And the disciples are probably like, yeah, I know that guy, <laughs> right? Like you're just pumped about it. Jesus wasn't shocked that this girl came back to life. It didn't surprise Jesus that this girl rose from the dead. Jesus just cares for this little girl's well-being. After she laid lifeless, she comes back from the dead. Her spirit returns for her. Jesus just locks in on her. Give her something to eat. She needs to be nourished. So compassionate for every need. And it says that her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So that's interesting. You have... This story of the disciples getting rescued from their disaster. And obviously they were telling people and Jesus casts out these demons and the man wants to be with Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, go tell everybody what I did for you. And then you have this woman who stops Jesus and Jesus heals her. 
And Jesus gives her an opportunity to share her story in that crowd of people, why she touched him. And now he tells Jairus and his wife, hey, don't, don't go tell anybody what just happened. Some people have said, maybe Jesus just didn't need more hype. Maybe Jesus just didn't need more skeptics, like he was having a hard enough time getting around. So don't tell that I can raise people from the dead because then everybody will be coming back. Remember, there's a whole crowd of people that knew this girl was dead and now she's alive. That news was gonna spread no matter what. I think that this is just another display of Christ's compassion, inexhaustible in his compassion. He can show it on the fly to anyone who calls upon him. And so here in this moment, he's having compassion on this little girl. And then he extends his compassion toward Jairus and his wife. And he says, it's not your obligation to go and share this news right now. Just simply stay here and marvel at the goodness of God. Stand in awe of what God has done for you. Just stay here and love and cherish your little girl who once was lost, but now is found. Isn't that beautiful? We are first worshipers before we are witnesses. And oh, how important it is to sit and savor the goodness and the grace of our God. And now listen, it can be easy to read all of these stories and see all of these miraculous things and think about our own circumstances. And even in hearing that Jesus is exalted over these things, it can be easy to still say, but why me? It can be easy to say, man, it's easy for them. Like they got relief. They got what they wanted. They got to run to Jesus and find healing. I've struggled with those questions myself, even this week. Maybe you struggle today in the middle of your own disaster, demons, disease, and death, and think, man, it's easy for Jesus to say, follow me. He is God, and he's perfect. Hear this this morning. Jesus loved you so much that he not only demonstrated his power over each and every one of these things, but he took them on and faced each one head on for us. Jesus suffered his own disaster when out of nowhere he was arrested and mocked and beaten and spit upon and nailed to a cross. Jesus faced beyond a legion of demons as they jeered and mocked and celebrated as he struggled to breathe on the cross that day. Jesus faced unthinkable pain as his innocent blood was shed for the disease of sin that separates all of mankind from God. And his father poured out his wrath upon his shoulders and Jesus died a death he never deserved so that we could live an eternal life that we could never, ever earn. You'll either laugh at Jesus's claim to be God like the people did in that house that day. Or you'll bow to the one who laid death in its grave. Jesus is all he needs to be for me. Jesus is all he needs to be in order to fulfill God's plan in redeeming people and one day coming to redeem this planet for good. We're not gonna sing to close today but man, I believe firmly in the power of prayer. It's a pillar in our church. And I wonder if, uh, 
I know that some of you are carrying seriously hard things. God has brought stories up this week even of people who are just in unrelatable, unthinkable pain that you probably don't know about. People have lost loved ones. People are in the midst of their own storms and it just feels like everything's crashing down around them. People are gripped by the powers of darkness and it's just a struggle. I wonder if you would be humble enough this morning, you don't gotta tell anybody what you're going through, but if you find yourself in any of those circumstances today, can I just ask you to stand wherever you are all around this room? Come on, don't be shy. Yeah. A lot of hurting people, a lot of struggling people. And if you're in a seat today, praise God, but you know you've either sailed out of a storm, you're either sailing into a storm or you're in one. But I wonder as the body of Christ this morning, could we demonstrate God's power by gathering around these hurting folks, our brothers and sisters and laying hands upon their shoulders. If you got someone around you, go ahead, stand up now. Put your hand on them. If no one's around you, just extend a hand. Feel free to cross an aisle. But let's just pray for God's peace and his power and patience and healing in this place this morning. Would you begin to lift up a prayer for that person? You don't know them. You don't know their situation, but just start to pray for them. You can do it quietly, but I would love to hear you lift your voice. A murmur of prayer, just fill this room. Come on, go ahead right now. Let's pray. Pray for them that God would show his power as healer. That God would be the calmer of storms today. Pray that God would release these people from the pain and the sickness and the agony that they're feeling. Would you pray that these people would have the faith to know that God is good in the midst of their suffering? Pray that. Would you pray that these people would know that Jesus loves them today? Lord God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. And God, we just call upon your mighty name today. Lord, we believe that you are the healer. We believe that you are good. We believe that you have the power to take away our sickness, to take away our pain, to take away our disasters, to take away our cancer. God, we believe that you are exalted over all things. And yet God, today we also ask that you would stretch our faith. 
Lord, that you would give us the eyes and the faith to know that you have power over the things that we face in this world. God, would you help us to take heart this morning because you have overcome these things that we carry. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters who have stood this today. God, I pray that they would know your great love for them. God, I pray that they would know deeply that you care about their situation, that you are intimately and intricately involved in the things that they are asking you. God, that you are very near and you are very close to the struggles that they are facing. God, I pray that you would just make your still small voice known to them on the hardest days and the hardest moments when they feel like all hope is lost, all hope is gone. God, I pray that you would show yourself faithful in their midst. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your example in dying for us. And God, we thank you that you will come again. Oh, how we long for you to come again, oh God. When we will be free of the hardships of this world and we will bask in your presence and we will fall at your feet forever and glorify you, oh God. Peace on the earth, Jesus. Fill us up today that we might serve you this week. In your matchless name we pray, amen. Can we stand together? So glad you came to church today. And uh, I'm praying for you, thankful for you. I'm thankful for God's word. He has what we need as we leave. And uh, let's go in peace today, knowing we're sons and daughters of the most high, that he's everything he needs to be for us in our circumstances. Let's serve him. You are.